Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first uh, Youth Ministry Podcast. I'm here with Mr. Taylor Worley, also the father of the famous Liz and Quinn Worley. Uh, We're glad to be here with you all and excited to talk about um, our study. So originally we were doing a study, our Sunday School series on technology, faith, and media trying to think about these things. How do we use technology? How do we think about media? And uh, we were really excited about the study. And under the circumstances, we had to uh, pause that. Um, But we we just, we were so excited about it that we wanted to spend more time talking about it and sharing this conversation with both the youth, you guys, and also your parents and anybody else in the church. Um, So we're just, we're going to jump on in. Just to let you know how we're going to proceed forward, we're going to um, kind of have a conversation by talking through a few questions, both Taylor and I. Um, And then at the end, we're going to um, answer a couple of the questions that you guys gave us uh, from the Sunday School class. Um, So uh, I guess our first question here you have for me, Taylor. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hand it off to you then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So week one, um, we're calling redeeming attention. So for for uh, students that got to be there for the first week, it'll be a bit of a review, but if you didn't get to be there for the first week, uh, we're backing up so that everybody gets, um, you know, the whole thing uh, via the podcast. So Eric, thanks so much for yeah. setting this up. Um, probably a good point to start would just be to back all the way up to the original idea for this series on technology and media and faith. So uh, when you thought about putting together a Linton Bible study series on this topic, where was that coming from? What were you, what were you wanting to, to do with that? Yeah, so I think two things. One is personal, and then the other one is just thinking as a pastor serving our youth kids. So first, personally, I've, I'm almost 30, three decades on this planet. And from the time I was born to now, there's just been a major shift in technology, in the way that we can use it, in the advances, uh, the amount of technological power that we have on our phones and on our laptops, the way that we connect with each other, it's just profoundly changed. Um, And with that brings a lot of really good things. I mean, even now we recognize it when Mm -hmm. we're having to be isolated from one another, that we can stay connected. So what a blessing that is. Mm -hmm. But then it also creates some poor habits or poor uh, things as well. And one of it, and just my own personal life is just distraction. Mm. I'm a husband. I go home in the evening and I just find myself on my phone uh, with my wife and the same thing for her and vice versa. And we both try to remind each other to be present with one another. Mm. Uh, But why is that? Why are we distracted? And why is that? Why is that happening? And then secondly, um, just as a youth pastor, I recognize that all the kids I'm working with, they don't, they don't know anything different. This mm-hmm. is just the world that they're used to. And one of the biggest questions that I think we have to ask ourselves is, how do we use things rightly? How do we use things rightly? Um, so that, as a youth pastor, as I'm working with kids and having us think about our phones, our computers, social media, I want us to think deeply about how do we use it rightly? Um, how, how do we honor um, God and one another um, as we use these things. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, 
Um, Taylor, why don't we jump in? Because part of the reason why I brought Taylor on is mm-hmm. Taylor is a professor at a Christian university. He's, he's thought deeply about media and visual arts. Uh, and so I really wanted Taylor to kind of help set the tone for the class in terms of a framework. And uh, so Taylor, um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to kind of just hand it off to you about yeah. the framework yeah. that we're kind of be working with. Yeah. So, so um, when you brought the idea to me initially, I, yeah, I jumped at it. I thought, oh, this, yeah, this, I think that'd be really helpful um, for two reasons. So two things uh, had kind of popped up on my radar in recent months um, and years. So I'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'll share that. First, the first thought was the speed at which technology is changing and um, the, the speed at which we're onboarding all sorts of new technologies and acclimating. I mean, it, it's been funny to me to see um, my kids, uh, even at a very young age, can navigate an iPhone mm-hmm. really easily, right? Yes. Because it's designed to be navigated, yes. you know, very intuitively. So um, one of the things that really caught my attention and really, um, you know, kind of prompted me to want to take a time out on technology and kind of slow down that process of um, of taking on these new technologies was this um, article in the New York Times that circulated months, maybe even a year ago. Uh, and it was an article that was spotlighting uh, parents of uh, kids who those parents uh, work in Silicon Valley. Yes. And they work for a lot of the tech companies, Google, Facebook, yeah. and, you know, Instagram, all the, a lot of these different. Um, so all companies. these, all these young people who put all this work into these technologies and social media, they're having kids. Yep. And now they're thinking about how their kids are using what they've created. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. So it, the, the article got a lot of attention because the consensus among those folks that work in Silicon Valley is to let their kids have as little screen time as possible. Wow. So I I thought I might um, read a couple of the quotes uh, just to, just so we could hear from their voices. So, you know, this is, this is one mom who uh, who works in a, um, a project connected to Facebook said, uh, quote, I'm convinced the devil lives in our phones and is wreaking havoc on our children. Oh wow! Okay, so I did not hear that on Christian Talk Radio. Yeah, <laughs> that was in that was uh, that was someone who works at Facebook in this article. Another um, a guy who uh, was a former editor of Wired magazine and now is the chief executive of a robotics and drone company said, "On the scale between candy and crack cocaine." And here he's talking about screens. It's closer to crack cocaine. Oh man! Yeah. So the, so these sort of things got my attention, and 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 in a really like jarring and startling way because I'm like, if the folks that are building these technologies understand how addictive they are, that they won't even let their children engage with them. Um, you know what are you know what are we what are we doing? So. You know, that was one of the more recent kind of uh, red flags that went up. But there is a growing literature. There's a growing, like, um, 
number of books coming out today that, that I would point to uh, things that, that I've read and been looking at. So there's a, um, a philosopher of technology named Sherry Turkle, and she wrote a book years ago and has some famous TED Talks uh, on the theme of alone together. Mm. So uh, the subtitle of that book was why we expect more from technology and less from each other. Mm. So, um, so she's really been reflecting on this phenomenon of people being in close proximity with each other, sitting around, but not talking to each other, yes. being on their phones the whole time. Yeah. You know, so she's, I mean, it's a classic, you go to a restaurant, oh, yeah. the family sitting yeah. at the restaurant and everybody is on yeah. their phone, yeah. not yeah. talking, yeah. waiting for their food. Yeah. So they're all present with one another, but are they truly present with exactly. each other? Exactly. And there's been some really good um, books in recent years, one by Andy Crouch from a few years ago called The TechWise Family, and then one just last year by a guy named Justin Early called The Common Rule, mm-hmm. Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. So there's Christian voices that are trying to respond to this. Um, so it's not just kind of the doomsday um, prophets kind of saying technology is the enemy, but there, you know, that concern to take a time out and maybe slow down the rate at which we're employing these you know, technologies um, is coming from lots of different places. So that, to me, that was a big warning sign, like, hold on. Yeah. The other thing um, that I point to is just this, you know, short, somewhat simple quotation that I came across some months ago. Yes. It's actually on a bookmark in a book, but um, it's from a Christian philosopher from the early part of the 20th century. And she said, her name is Simone Vey. And uh, she said that attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Wow. Also, I'll read it one more time. Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Coming across that quotation, it just really struck me that um, the worry is, you know, part of our worry is, yes, these technologies are are um, changing and evolving at a rate that it's very hard to keep up with. But the real heart of the matter is the question of attention and the question of being present to uh, ourselves, to God, to one another. Um, and, and that really connected with my own sort of theological framework for human beings. Like we as people are limited, you know, we are dependent, you know, we're in this kind of COVID-19 crisis. We're, we're finding out we're, you know, we're bumping into the fact that we're dependent in ways that we uh, have forgotten or, you know, lost sight of. So like we're dependent on one another, you mm-hmm. mean, is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah. totally. Yeah. And the attention that we have, uh, the attention that we give, the attention that we want to receive from others is a limited resource. So it's this whole question of stewarding uh, that attention. Like how do we, um, you know, how, how, do, how are we, how can we be wise about the, the capacity that we each possess to give and receive attention? Yeah. So I know that sounded good to you. Um, and you kind of latched onto that idea of attention. Yes. So maybe be helpful uh, for you to kind of talk about what we mean by this word attention. Like, what are we yeah. actually talking about? We're talking about attention. Yeah, that, it's an interesting word, attention or attentiveness. Like, what do we mean by that? 
Do we mean just being focused, like on a test or on the SAT? You have to be attentive. You have mm-hmm. to really focus. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean when we're thinking about with one another, being with our siblings, being with our parents and our friends? Maybe there's ways in which we're with people, but we're not really attentive mm-hmm. to those around us. So I thought I would just give a couple Again, it's such a hard word to kind of hold on to, but I thought I would just give us a couple things to to think about as we think about attention, this this gift that we that God gives to us and that we can give to others. So one of those things is being fully present in the moment, being fully present in the moment. And I mean, I'm going to confess to you, Taylor, and to everyone here, like I have a hard time being present. Like my mind is thinking about future things. Mm -hmm. It's thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, Mm -hmm. what's going to happen a month from now, a year from now, um, that it makes it hard for me to be present. It makes it hard for me to be present with my wife. It makes it hard for me sometimes even as a pastor sitting with you all Mm -hmm. to be present with you, to be Mm -hmm. listening to what you're saying. Another thing um, is, I think, being willing to listen, being willing to listen. Sometimes we're so eager to talk, we want others to hear us that we aren't willing to listen to others. And so I think part of being attentive is being willing to listen. And the irony is, is that we have to be willing to listen to God and we have to be willing to listen to one another. And, and when we start doing that, we are actually practicing attentiveness. Um, another thing I think that it may be really helpful even for you guys today is seeing something new in a, our familiar situation, in a familiar setting, yeah. uh, in a familiar situation. So, for instance, a couple examples. You guys right now are at home and you are in a very, very familiar setting. Do you notice anything new? Mm. Do you notice anything new with your siblings? Mm. Do you notice anything new with your parents or even in your house or outside? Mm. Maybe there's ways in which there's something wonderful and surprising that we encounter with a newness. Um, And then lastly, being mindful, being mindful. And I know that's a little hard, but like being, being mindful of the world around you, being mindful of the needs of others. I think these are just some ways that we can kind of grapple with what do we mean by attention and kind of going back to the, the statement that you said that this, this um, French philosopher that, that Taylor brought up. um, I I just love um, her statement. Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. What I hope we'll see in this study that Taylor will bring up is that we'll, we see that that God is generous to us with his attention and that mm-hmm. actually as creatures made in his image, we're to do the same thing with others. Um, and so there's something that we have in being attentive with one another. So Taylor, as, as we kind of um, think about this more and as you start setting the framework, I, I have this question for us, for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where does our thinking on attention need to change? Where does it need to change? Or maybe another way to say this is, what do you think could radically change our perspective on this question of attention? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we need, 
I think we need to get back to a deeply biblical understanding of um, human life mm-hmm. and in encounters and connections with other people. But I'm aware that we've allowed ourselves to uh, engage technology so fully that it's really conditioned a lot of our lives and developed habits in us. And, you know, most of our technologies invite us to be maybe less than fully human and invite us to be a consumer of whatever technology or whatever media is available. And sometimes we... Uh, look at each other as just other consumers, right? Oh, you know, or we look at each other as, you know, um, potential resources that we could use or... or um, Maybe another you know, way of saying it is what the question that we ask is, what can I get out of this person mm-hmm. rather than what can I give yeah, to this person good. in this moment? Yeah, that's good. That's good. So I, uh, I've been really captivated by this um, this portion of an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote many years ago, like almost like a whole century ago, in his in his book *The Weight of Glory*, he talks about um, how surprised we would be if we saw one another as the potentially glorious beings that we really are, mm-hmm. that God really designed us to be. So if you so seeing us the way that God sees us, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so he has a great way of describing it. So I'm just going to read, um, actually, the like a more extended quotation than what we've been shared in class. But, okay. Um, so this is these are um, C.S. Lewis's thoughts. So he writes, "It may be possible for each of us to not, or to sorry, I'll start over. It may be possible for each of us to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible." for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back daily, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature, which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat but it is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of the kind 
and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence, which parodies love as flippancy, parodies, parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. That's a lot. That yeah, is a lot. That's a lot there. But so deep and <coughs> wonderful. Um, yeah, I, th- I think for me, um, at the beginning and at the end, what it kind of sandwiches this quote is that C.S. Lewis is wanting us to see our neighbors and people differently. Mm. Kind of going back to what you were saying with consumerism, kind of what can I get out of this relationship rather than seeing somebody for who they truly are. And there's a wonder there. There's something that um, it, it makes us not only feel closer with each other, but it actually makes us feel closer to God mm. because we see a little bit of God and who he is in one another. Even though we're broken, even mm. though we're sinful and, and need to be made new again, mm. um, we get to see a little bit of God in one another. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know what, what your thoughts are off of this quote for yourself, Taylor. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, for me, it's so startling because it's just easy to get into a routine of, of kind of, um, a routine of low expectations, you know, of just kind of, well, if you have low expectations, if you don't expect much from people, they can't let you down. You know? And sometimes we make quick judgments by just looking on the outside of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So something like this really kind of captures my imagination and it kind of shocks me. I mean, it's like a jolt. It's like, whoa, I don't, I don't think about things like that, and I should. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I love another thing. The, the idea that humanity as we think of our place in creation, I would argue that humanity is the jewel Mm. of God's creation. Mm. Humanity was placed on earth to be kind of the, the end product of all of God's creation. God created the world to be a a habitat for humanity. Mm. And when we think of it that way, um, do we think of, other human beings as that. Mm -hmm. We kind of think of ourselves that way. Mm -hmm. We like to Mm -hmm. think that there's something really special about us and there's something um, worth redeeming. But sometimes we don't think about that for other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that C.S. Lewis is inviting us to see that the way that we look at other people or the way that we share our attention, our time, the willingness to be able to listen stems from that there's something in others that is worth while mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah that's good well um to kind of continue with this taylor a- another question for you is what wisdom can we find in the scriptures for framing this study mm. we, we heard this quote from c.s lewis but in particular where in the scriptures do we go to to kind of see this yeah that's good um, i mean we're gonna 
we're obviously going to look at a lot of different passages, and I hope over the like scope of this conversation. But um, uh, for me, I go directly to to the Epistle of First John, and it's because everything that C.S. Lewis talked about in that quotation, the future glory of your neighbor, is only possible because of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So there's something really beautiful going on in the letter of first John, uh, where, um, the apostle John is taking seriously the fact that the resurrection changes everything. Mm. Um, but he's applying that truth in a very practical way. So I, I love to like encourage students, especially to look at the letter of first John, because, it's uh, so practical. It's, I mean, it, much of its message is really simple and straightforward, you know. And yet um, there's such a depth to it. Exactly, as well. exactly. Yeah. So that's what I want to get into. So I'm going to read a bit of uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 from First John and then try and, like, uh, pull out some of the some of that depth that, that we see there. So in First in John chapter 2, beginning of verse 15, uh, the apostle writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Picking up in chapter 3, verse 1, he writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that is Christ, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Mm. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Mm. Wow. There's a lot in just those, you know, six or seven verses right there. John, um, John is telling his readers that all the distractions, all the preoccupations, all the beautiful or, um, tantalizing things that that catch that, our eye, catch our eye yeah. exactly. That capture our attention in this world are not eternal. They're yeah. not lasting. Yeah. They're actually, according to him, passing away. And so we've got to think about our lives as um, as an exercise of of restraint or as a as a kind of process of um, uh, putting our focus on what's real and eternal and lasting. Yeah. And so he tells us what that is. He, t- he shows us that, that um, if we are preparing to see him as he is and be transformed to be like him, this is what John's talking about when, he, when he's kind of using that resurrection truth, that the resurrection changes everything, including us, Yes. right? It's changed Jesus from dead to alive, and it's changing us from dead to alive. And we will see him as he is 
for, and we will be like him, right? If that's the truly true thing about our lives, if that's where our lives are headed, then like he says in verse three of chapter three, everyone who hopes for that, everyone who waits for that, who expects that, who looks forward to that purifies himself here and now. Yeah. Right. So the form of the world is passing away, you know, especially the desires of the eyes, right? We're talking about technology and media. Those yeah. Are, and the desires of the eyes. Are, it's ironic <clears throat> too, because so much technology gets obsolete over a couple of oh, years. Good. It's yeah. so crazy, Taylor. Yeah. Like the, the newest model that comes out and that's what everybody wants. And yet a couple years down the road, it's too slow yeah. or it doesn't work the way it should because it's, is no longer, uh, what is it capable or it's like mm. the compatible. newest compatible, yeah. compatible. Um, so it's, it's just even ironic that we experience this in our mm. own lives. Mm. Yeah. We're constantly chasing after something that doesn't necessarily satisfy. Mm. Mm. And so where do we put our eyes and our desires and our longings? Mm-hmm. How do we, um, I love how Augustine says it. How do we reorder our loves? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what John is getting at here. Yeah. Just kind of saying, like, if the truly true thing about us is that we are being changed because of the power of the resurrection at work within us, then that's where we should put our focus. That's where we should put our hope. That's how we should evaluate ourselves and others. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, in the letter of First John the the call to love one another is so central it's i mean you know we it's so basic in the christian community that we can take it for granted but john says this is the important stuff you've got to love one another your love for one another shows whether or not you really are in christ whether you really are hoping for that complete transformation taylor to pause you kids i know that we've been throwing so much at you here but here here's the crux of it if that is what we're called to do, if that is our eternal call and direction and longing, then the question that we constantly have to go back to is how is my use of technology either hindering or promoting Mm. my love Mm. for my neighbor, my friend, Mm. my family? Mm -hmm. And that's really the big question here. The question is not, oh, technology is bad. It's obsolete. The question is, how am I going to use it in ways that are appropriate and loving and good mm. in light of what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. So one more thought from First John, uh, just to empower exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Because I know that you're interested in this, and and me too. We we don't want to we don't want to just have this series on technology as just a form of correction. But yeah. we also want to empower our students. Yes. And John's. A, letter here does empower them and it goes back to something you said just a little bit ago so um when you said that we not only um experience god's attention or god's concern or care for us when we receive that from our brother or sister but we actually show forth Mm -hmm. we actually image um we present manifest embody that love for one another um the love of God for uh, each other when we uh, when we love one another. That's a theme that John picks up on. Yeah. So in the Old Testament and there's other places where we see this, um, we have this we have, there's a, there's a really kind of in this interesting image of um, 
uh, of the face of the, you know, the question of the face of God, right? So, so we know in the Old Testament that no one could see the face of God, right? Yeah. You know, no one who, no one who saw God was able to live, you know, to tell about it, right? So, um, that kind of image is a really dramatic way to describe <coughs> a powerful encounter. So, when when Jacob in Genesis chapter thirty three finally gets um, tracked down by his brother Esau, yeah, and instead of like taking his revenge, Esau actually forgives him. Yes, Jacob responds with this really extravagant um, kind of expression where he says, you know. Um, in seeing your face is like seeing the face of God, mm, right? Yeah. So that um, this is from the brother who wanted to kill him. Exactly. 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 So when he experiences, imagine that with your own sibling. I know. I know. Right. So, um, so that notion of like forgiveness as displaying the face of God is mm. something like from the Old Testament that that actually John is picking up. So later in John, in First John four, um, beginning of verse seven. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Right? These are very famous words. Yeah. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And here John picks up on that image of the face of God. Mm -hmm. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected Mm -hmm. in us. So no one's ever seen God, John says, but when we love one another, we're manifesting the face of God. Yeah. Right. That is yeah. the <clears throat> that is the um, the image of God in the world. And going back to the attentiveness mm-hmm. theme that we're trying to convey is if we aren't attentive to those around us, if we aren't attentive to God and how He shows Himself to us through community and through His Word, then we're missing out on that. Mm-hmm. Totally. There, there's something totally. that we are missing out and we're not able to give to others mm. in those moments. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Eric, I know you've been thinking about this too, and you've been thinking about what the scriptures have to say about attention. Um, so what do you see, you know, where, uh, as we're kind of talking about starting points yeah. today, what do you see as an important starting point in terms of the wisdom of scripture? Yeah. So the, the wisdom of scripture in particular is, how are we going to grow in attentiveness? Are we just going to come up with a bunch of rules and practices and, and be very legalistic about it? Or are we going to allow God by his grace to us to set the tone Mm. for how we think about using Mm. our technology for how we think about growing in our presence with each other and attentiveness. And I think one of the, I'm going to just think big picture here, like big, story of the Bible picture. And, and next week in particular, we're going to look at the person of Jesus and how mm-hmm. he shows attentiveness to us and how he draws near to us. But when, when I think of the big story of the Bible, I'm, I'm just amazed 
as I started thinking about God's presence and his attentiveness to us. I mean, from the very beginning in the garden, God was present with Adam and Eve. Mm. It says that he walked with them in the garden during the cool of the night. God was present. He was attentive. And I I don't, the the Bible doesn't tell us, so I I don't want to speculate too much. But can you imagine God asking Adam, how was your day? Mm. Or Eve, how, how, what did you do today? Mm. The fact that God wanted to be with Adam and Eve and to know about their life and what was going on. Yes, he's God. He knows everything. He, he didn't have to go. He, he already knew it, but yet he went and was present with them. Yeah. Another place we see God being attentive is actually in the Exodus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. God's people went into Egypt because they were running away from the famine that had struck the land and they needed to be protected and have food. And four centuries later, God's people were enslaved by Egypt. Um, and the question was, is where was God? Was he paying attention? And it says in Exodus that God saw his people and he knew them. It wasn't that God got distracted for 400 years. He knew exactly where they were. He had placed them there for a reason. And the whole time he saw them. And then lastly, those are more pleasant ways of thinking about it. But even God, he knows us. He knows the good and he knows the bad. Mm -hmm. And throughout Israel's story, there was some bad. Uh, they've pulled away from God, they fell away from him. And even in those moments, God was present. God saw his people. He knew his people. And so I I guess, and the kids are going to get tired of me saying this because we did a, a fruit of the spirit series. And basically what I said is this, the way that we love, we have to look to God. If we're going to love, if we're going to be present and attentive to each other, we're going to have to look to God and we're going to have to go to his example of what that looks like for our lives. Um, so that's kind of a, a cliffhanger mm-hmm. as we go into next week, because we're going to look in particular at Jesus, God coming in flesh and blood to be with us and how he was attentive. Um, but by way to kind of close our time, cause we're getting to the end here. Um, Taylor and I wanted to end by addressing a couple of the questions that you guys left with us um, at the Sunday school class that we had. Um, And also, if you weren't at that Sunday school class and you have questions as we're going through this series, you can email me. Um, You can email me your questions or your thoughts or comments, and Taylor and I will try to incorporate that into our podcast. So uh, you guys left kind of two questions two sort of things with us. You left concerns and you left questions. So we wanted to read through all the concerns, um, partly because some of the concerns that you personally expressed may be concerns that your your peers, your, yeah. your friends have yeah. as well. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and read through these and we may just make a comment here or two. So these are some of the concerns that you guys had. Turning to technology as a distraction and man, Taylor, that, I mean, you yeah. and I know that. Yeah. And I could have written that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe some of the, the big questions to think about is why do we do that? Mm. Why do we turn to technology? What is the motivation? What is, is there something missing mm-hmm. that we're longing for? Mm-hmm. So that'd be a big thing for us to yeah. kind of think yeah. about. Yeah. Um, online identity, identity slash brand. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that's a, uh, 
my best guess of that is like a, those social network influencers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Taylor, I think you and I would be very bad influencers. No. So yeah, um, uh, I don't think we're very stylish. But yeah, I mean, that's true. There, um, there seems to be some sort of capital and power behind people who can brand themselves and put themselves out there. I guess the question, though, is how much of that is lasting? Mm-hmm. How much of that is real? Yeah. That's a question to consider. Time, health, mental ability, and surveillance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, how much time we spend on this? Mm-hmm. How's this affecting our mental health? Um, I don't know how you, you know college students, so you've seen some of that. How, how would you say you've seen that with technology and social media with college students in particular? Yeah, just generally, it's, um, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. I mean, the use of, like, the, the time spent on screens – and the um, uh, activity with social media, as those rates increase, incidences of anxiety, depression, and all sorts of bad stuff increase as well. Yeah. There's a corollary. Yeah. Um, Not using my phone when I want to relax and rest. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because sometimes we think that we're relaxing and resting when we're on social media or we're on our phone. But if we were to really take some time to think about it, our minds are racing the whole time. Yeah. And so what is it that is truly restful and relaxing? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, finding a balance with using technology. That's mm-hmm. a big concern. Like how do I spend my time? How do I balance it? Uh, friends getting together but are looking at their phones more than they are looking at each other. I mean, we talked about that, the family in the restaurant. Yeah, Yeah, that's big. Um, And just by a passing comment, um, when you are with your friend and they are on their phone and they're not paying attention to you, a big question to ask is, why does that hurt? Mm -hmm. Why does that hurt so much? Um, So we can think about that a little bit Mm -hmm. more. Mm Talking to someone on the internet who may not be who you think they are. <coughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Nice. Yeah. Uh, somebody who may be a lot older and even of the different gender than you initially thought they were. So, yeah, that there's there's definitely dangers there. Talking to, uh, no, wait, don't have a phone. That's true. That yeah. is a concern. Yeah, not everybody's got a smartphone. Not everybody's got a smartphone. Um, but even for those who don't have a phone, technology is all around us. So we have to think about how we use these things. Uh, I want to know how to get my parents to stop lecturing me on technology use. (laughs) Taylor, you, you know that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, yeah. I mean, the initial thought would be to have more of a conversation. Yes. You know, and that's, and I think that's what we're trying to foster here. You know, we, we don't want to come off as judgmental Mm -hmm. or, you know, condemning anyone. We just want to foster a conversation because I think, you know, each of us and, you know, my family, I mean, we're, we're asking a lot of questions, yeah. you know, and we don't have all the answers. So just yeah. having the conversation is a, is a good first step. Yeah. No, that's great, Taylor. Dangerous influences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and mean, um, the unfortunate reality is that by being connected to the internet, we have access to so many different things. And so one thing for youth kids to think about is maybe your parents have done some things to try to limit that. 
by controlling the internet, by putting on some um, filters. But a reality is, is that someday you're going to be an adult and you have to process how am I going to encounter these things and what am I going to do about that? Um, and then lastly, how easy it is to access technology in this day and age. Again, we kind of already mentioned that. So we have two questions to end our time. Um, Taylor, I'm going to ask this first question to you and then Mm -hmm. you can, you can ask the second one to Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first question to you, Taylor, that we got from the students is how am I supposed to not use technology so much when everything that I do, school, work, friends, relies on it Mm. and just even thinking about today Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're completely dependent upon technology just to even have any connection with anybody exactly exactly no i appreciate this question and i i sense a little bit of frustration a little bit of um um you know kind of maybe even bitterness in the in in having to ask the question you know it's we we're having this conversation on technology and media and faith, but we don't want to do so in a way that's, you know, not, not taking into account the imminently technological nature of our lives. I mean, we, you know, we, we live in the highly technological age and we're so dependent upon it, you know? Um, So I really, I hear the heart of the, the student who's asking this question and I get it right. There's, if if it was easy to unplug and completely detach, if it was easy to go off the grid, you know, we would have all figured this out a long time ago. So um, initially what I want to say is that it's a complicated question, right? So our goal is not that we provide easy answers because we don't really think there are easy answers. But what we want to do in fostering this conversation is um, develop some criteria that we can make some wise choices Mm -hmm. and we can, you know, in making those wise choices, hopefully develop some patterns and some habits, some discipline in our lives, maybe even awareness, creating an awareness in our lives. Cause I mean, I think what this person is asking is, you know, it kind of seems futile. Like we're never going to get away from it. So maybe we shouldn't even try And I hear that. I get it. Um, and we're probably not going to ever get away from it. So in light of that, how do we develop some really healthy practices that sustain us yeah. and don't turn us into simply consumers yes. of technology? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, Taylor, it's, it's a great question. And I think um, at the end of the day, it's not how do I make sure that it doesn't um, consume me, but how, how do I... Uh, use technology well and rightly yeah um because it is a reality um and and there's and as believers throughout all of our um throughout all of history believers have been figuring out how to live our christian faith in the day and age that we live in Mm -hmm. and as believers in the 21st century we live in the technological age And so we have to discern how are we going to live our faith out in this age Mm -hmm. um, without it consuming us and drawing us away from God and from our, each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Eric, we did get a lot of really good questions and I hope like, 
as students are listening, they're going to formulate new questions yes. and they might even try and stump us yes. with some tough ones. Yes. And so they might get tougher the further in we get. But I know there's one that we wanted to come back to. You've already kind of spoken to this a bit, just as it came up in one of the concerns. But one student is asking, is there a way to actually avoid these dangerous influences? Mm. And I know you wanted to speak to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, one way to think about this is, I, actually, I, I know how I'm going to answer this. Mm. In one way, the answer is no. The answer is no. Wow. And, that, yeah. and that's tough because um, there's always going to be dangerous influences. Even if you were able to completely remove technology out of your life, um, go live up on a mountain all by yourself, the reality is, is that there's always a dangerous influence because of your own heart. Mm -hmm. Because of your own heart. Mm -hmm. We are always going to encounter things in this world that we have to grow more aware of, um, of what is right and what is wrong, what is honoring to God um, and what is not. And so part of the reason why we wanna have this conversation about technology and media is not to say poo poo, it's all bad because it's gonna expose me to dangerous influences, but how do I use it wisely knowing that there are gonna be dangerous influences? Yeah. And then on, on the flip side, yes, there are actually practical ways mm -hmm. of, of spacing yourself, creating space away from dangerous things. Um, you know, I, I think of just the Bible story with Joseph and, and Potiphar's wife. Joseph, he, he had to create space. And even, even as much as he creates space, it, it, it hurt him because she accused him of doing something he did not do. And so we have to use wisdom as believers in how we're going to use things, um, knowing that there actually are going to be dangerous influences in our lives. Yeah, and I'll just chime in from the perspective of a parent. Yeah. You know, I've got four kiddos and two of, two of them are in the youth group. And yeah, this is certainly something I've thought a lot about. And, you know, I... I have more, you know, more often I've fantasized not about like retreating up into the mountains, but building a bunker. Yes. You know, if I could build a bunker in the backyard and then I could put my family in it yes. and lock it and nothing bad will ever happen to them. You know? Yeah. Um, but nobody wants to go along with that plan for no. some reason. And the, kid, the kids are not excited about that. Well, you know? I saw Liz on video <laughs> chat and it looked like she was in a bunker yeah. so from the roof. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where she was. Maybe might, it was the basement. Yeah, but. they might feel like they live in a bunker. Um, no, I say that because it's a very natural impulse of a parent to say, well, what else can I do to put layers of protection between my kids and the dangerous influences that they might encounter on the internet, through technology, in various forms of media. Even you know, how it's shaping their brain. Yeah. Because yeah. remember, back at the very beginning of our conversation, these uh, Silicon Valley CEOs and creators of all these products are starting to figure out that, oh, wait, this stuff actually shapes our brains yeah. in ways that are not yeah. helpful. Yeah. So even yeah. these parents are yeah. recognizing that. Yeah. And, 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 so we've had to, I mean, we, 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 you know, as you already indicated, like we have taken measures and mm -hmm. we have taken steps and, um, 
are there more things that we can do? Are there ways that we can improve? Yeah, we're always we're always trying to do that. But at the end of the day, we don't want to be motivated by fear mm. because we want we want to um, believe and have faith that um, that the spirit of the living God will guide our kids, mm. even when they do experience and encounter inappropriate things or you know you know the way the question worded it dangerous influences. Um, we want our we want our kids to know what to do when that happens, not if. Yes. Right? We can't control the if. You know, I, we could work all day every day to try and control the if. Mm-hmm. I want to get them ready for the when. Yes. Um, so that they'll have so, so they'll have an appropriate response. Yes. So they'll be able to say, as you said, create that space and move away from it. Because at the end of the day, um, we want to we want to be led not by fear but by faith that God will. Uh, that God will protect us and that God will sustain us. Yes. And, um, and that even in, in, even in these matters that, <clears throat> that we, you know, we can't find a way out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great, Taylor. And thank you for sharing that because again, yeah, Taylor's one of, one of the youth parents at our church and um, I'm thankful to have him partner with me as we talk about uh technology and faith and media. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we have for this week. I wanted to just leave you all with, um, kind of a challenge. Um, so again, we, we talked about the theme of attentiveness or attention and how that's a gift, a gift that not only does God show to us, but we show to one another. Um, and so one of those, one of the ways that I I thought we could practice attention is kind of recognizing the day that we're living in. Uh, you guys are kind of confined at home in most places. Some of you are able to get out and go on a walk. Um, but the reality is, is a lot of your surroundings right now are very, very familiar. You know, your siblings very well, you know, your parents very well, you see them every day. Um, you know your house very well. You may even know the places that you walk to around the neighborhood very well. They're very familiar. But is there a way that you can pay attention to them and maybe see something different? And maybe see something different. Maybe God has, wants to show you something um, in in your siblings or in your parents or in your house even or in the neighborhood around you that you didn't necessarily see before because you were maybe a little bit more caught up in what's going on in your own heart or what's going on on your phone or uh, waiting for the next uh, Netflix series. Um, So that's a little bit of a challenge to you. Um, And then lastly, again, like I mentioned before, we want to hear more questions from you. So as you're listening to us, as you're following this podcast, please feel free to email me uh, questions, concerns, uh, uh, challenges to Taylor and I as we think about this podcast. Uh, and if your parents are listening, they can shoot us questions too. So uh, we, we'll, we'll take their questions as well. Yeah. Um, so Taylor, before we close, um, could I end in a quick word of prayer yeah, as, we, as we close? Gracious Father, we, we thank you for this time uh, that Taylor and I had to discuss this topic, um, thinking about Uh, technology use, um, thinking about uh, media and our faith and growing in our faith and following you. Um, Lord, we're thankful at the end of the day that you 
are attentive to us, that you know us more deeply uh, than we even know ourselves, and, and that you watch us, and that you are mindful of us, and that you actually listen to us. And so, Lord, we pray that as we think about these things, as we think about our relationship with others, as we ultimately think about healthy practices uh, with technology and the way that we use it, Lord, we pray that we would see it through the lens of, of developing habits and practices that draw us closer to you and draw us closer to one another so that we may love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbor as ourselves. So we thank you for these youth students. We thank you for their families. We pray that this would be a blessing to them as they listen to this podcast. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.